0: This is Positive Parenting, parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat.
1: Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. When you have your first child, you congratulate yourself on how perfect he is or how he sleeps through the night sooner than other babies, or you wonder what mistakes you've made because you have a fidgety fussy baby you wouldn't consider taking to a restaurant or on a long car ride. You either pat yourself on the back, or you wonder what you're doing wrong. Now, some of that problem has to do with the bombardment that we're all under of laser-focused parenting books that purport to offer the secret to successful child rearing. Many of those books scare parents into thinking that there's only one right way to raise a child. It's no wonder that so many of us feel confused and overwhelmed. But the truth is that every child has a unique personality. So our mission as parents really needs to be to discover our children's unique talents and also how we can use our own talents and strengths to be the most effective and supportive parents possible. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about exactly that and a lot more. But unlike a lot of conversations that we've had on the show, we're going to be focusing on identifying and understanding what your children are naturally good at and where they thrive, not on their weaknesses and how to fix them. We're also going to be talking about how to help you uncover your own innate talents and effectively apply them to your individual parenting style. It all starts when Positive Parenting continues right after this.
2: I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know?
3: Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future.
2: Oh, I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash.
3: Log on to yougottabekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's.
2: Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting.
3: Don't be that guy. Unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to you gotta be kidding.org.
1: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Mary Reckmeyer, who is the author of Strengths-Based Parenting, Developing Your Children's Innate Talents. Mary, thanks for joining us.
4: Yeah, good morning. Thank you.
1: I think before we get into this, you need to set the stage a little bit about your connection with Gallup. And I think probably people don't know enough about Gallup to you know, that you're sort of going to head down the the wrong way and just thinking that that's just polls, but it's a lot more than that. So tell us about your connection and, and a little bit more about what Gallup does.
4: Okay. Um, so let's see. I've been with the Gallup organization for um, probably 40 years, and Gallup is—I um, think most people, when they hear Gallup, automatically think about polling and, um, you know, get think, think about those calls that come into their, their homes, but actually— um, we do, we study a lot of analytics, we study individuals, we study development, um, and we've been doing that for um, well over um, 50 years. Um, and, I, and I've been involved in many ways um, with the company. I've done a lot in our educational division. I'm the executive director of our, we have a child development center, and we've had that for over 30 years wow. for infants. Um through school-aged children, um, and then I, I grew up with a dad who is named the father of strength psychology, um, who also um, was the CEO of Gallup for quite some time.
1: And strength psychology—I mean, I actually a few years ago did one of these strengths finders, uh, which I should mention that if you get this book, that there is a. Uh, there's a code, and you can go online, and you can take the the strengths test, uh, and and get a sense of of analytically anyway what your what your strengths are as a parent. Uh, so you're saying that th- this has been going on for 30 years with the child development, I and mean, that's that's something that um, I I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. why is that not better known?
4: Um. Well, I, I'm not sure why it's not better known, <laughs> but you know, it's something. It's something we started doing your, as a company well before it became popular or very mainstream at all. Because um, our belief has always been that 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 when a person comes to work, the rest of their life doesn't just shut off. They come in as a whole person, and and probably one of the most important parts of them that, that comes with them is their their family. You know, you've always got your kids on your mind and and um, and we also, because we we work with school districts nationwide as well, we do a lot of educational work. We also felt like there were some things that we knew were very important in terms of the growth and development of of young people, and we thought we should, um, you know, be be putting into action what we knew was right for the people we worked, you know, so closely with, and so. Um, We've we figured out a way to, to do that and have been doing yeah. it for 30 years, and in the meantime, I think contributing a lot to the lives of young children.
1: Oh, I think so, yeah. So strengths psychology, strength psychology is a, it's a term that I think people would say, oh, I understand what that means, but just mm-hmm. make sure that we're all on the same page here with this. Tell us a little bit about what that is, and then we're going to get into the details of, of how you apply that to the parenting side.
4: Sure, sure. So strength psychology is, is really the um, idea about building on, on your um, natural talent, building on who you innately are inside. And so when we talk about, um, we have assessments to identify those, those talents, it's really identifying your um, innate patterns of thoughts, feeling, and behavior, and then applying that to your daily life, rather than focusing on what you can't do, rather than saying, oh, I think you have some weaknesses, I need to fix those, we need to fix those up, um, so focusing on, on who you are and um, what's right about you, how you can take a talent and develop it into a strength and um, can add that to your life.
1: Now, does that mean that, that you don't try to fix things that might be fixed or that might be holding the child back or, or yourself as a parent?
4: Um No, absolutely not. So, so it doesn't mean ignoring your weaknesses. It doesn't mean ignoring your, your child's weaknesses, but what it really means is, is managing them so that they don't become roadblocks, so that they don't keep you from doing something, um, that you love or something that you can be good about or something that's going to be very, um, productive for you. So, you know, um, if I can jump into to talking about how that fits with the, with the book and parenting and how we, we go down that path is um, I think one of the things that, that's hard for parents is there, there is a lot of advice out there and there are a lot of people trying to tell you who your child should be, um, what they need to fix. Um, and I think there's, there's also, there's a lot of books, people giving advice everywhere and while I think there's a lot of good advice, um, a lot of great advice, actually, but there's also a lot of it that's, that's blanket advice. And I just stop and think about, geesh, this world, we've got 7 billion people on our planet, and it really takes all 7 billion, billion of us to, to make things go round and work. So I don't know how we could have blanket advice. I mean, I, I don't think a one-size-fits-all approach is what works. We really have to figure out um, each person's uniqueness and and figure out, you know, as parents, we have to figure out who, who their who your child is. Who's my child? Right. And you so that then you can best make choices that fit for your child. Um, so it's really it's really the perspective of um, embracing both what you as a parent are good at as well as what your child is naturally good at mm-hmm. versus trying to fix what's wrong or trying to push a child to become somebody else's idea of perfect.
1: Right. You know, a lot of people who are listening are going to get the book, and they'll go through the online strengths assessment, but mm-hmm. probably some mm-hmm. people are not. So right. can you walk us through a little bit about how you might, as a parent, go about assessing what your strengths are as, uh, as a parent and how you can go about assessing what your children's strengths are so that we can talk about how to get those things to work together?
4: Right, right. So, so if you are going to read the book and if you're going to take the assessments, they're right included with the book, so um, that, could, that would be a great thing to do because there's one that is really for people 15 years old and up, so you could do that for your teenage child, you could do that for, for yourself as a parent, um, and then we have uh, Strengths Explorer, which is for children in about the age range of 10 to 14 years old. Um, and if you do that, what you, what you get then is um, a top five talents for you as a parent, and top three for your child, if it's the um, strengths explore. Um, and, and then that can gives you a window, I would say, into, the, into your inclinations, into your child's inclinations. So let's say that um, either you don't do that or, or your child is younger than, than 10, um, whatever that might be. But um, when you start trying to think about and, and watch for your talents, um, you know, I think one thing as a parent is to look for the yearnings. Um, yearnings that you have, let's let, let, Let's think about it from a child standpoint. So okay. let's say as a parent you're looking um, at at what some of your, child's talent areas might be, and, and so if you look at their yearnings and you're looking at what are, you know, what are their activities, what are the environments that your child keeps going back to, what are they, what are they drawn to, what are they eager to try, um, and then I'd say rapid learning, so watch and see what, what um, skills, what activities does your child pick up quickly and easily, or you, know, you might see some other kids taking a long time, but your child picks it up just like that. Um, and then satisfaction. So watch, when is your child most enthusiastic and, and fulfilled? Um, and again, what does is, what is he or she just get excited about and want to do again and again and again? They just keep coming back to you. Um And, and, and then um, timelessness. So are there some things that your child becomes so engrossed in that they seem to lose track of time, they can't quite pull themselves, you know, away from what they're doing? Um, and, and, and then I think it's really helpful, too, as you're seeing all of those things as a parent, those give you some great clues. But then I think it's really good to, to watch for those clues in different settings, in different environments, because it's when you see it time after time in different places, so whether it's at home, school, on the sports field, you see that going on, then it's like, oh, you know, that, that really is something that's a part of my child. And I think those seeing those patterns right. makes a difference. And it, and then I think if you can, um, you know, you, you've got people that you know are invested in your child that really care about them, whether it's grandpa and grandma or um, you know a teacher, a coach, a next door mm-hmm. neighbor, um, to really kind of build a network with them where you're you know you're talking about and you're noticing um, who your child is because that's how you can help create some of those experiences. Um, you know, to help them turn their talents into strengths or just exploring strengths.
1: Talking with Mary Reckmeyer, who's the author of Strengths-Based Parenting, Developing Your Children's Innate Talents. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking to Mary about strengths-based parenting.
2: I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know?
3: Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future.
2: Oh, I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash.
3: Log on to yougottabekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's.
2: Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting.
3: Don't be that guy. Unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to yougottobekidding.org.
1: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Mary Reckmeyer, who's the author of Strengths-Based Parenting, Developing Your Children's Innate Talents. Uh, Mary, the the other part of this, I mean, we're not only talking about developing the children's talents, but also exploring and figuring out what our talents are as parents, because uh, that, that's going to help a lot, is understanding where there are commonalities, where there are areas where there might be some conflicts. Uh, and so you talked a little bit about how how we can assess the kids how do you assess yourself mm-hmm. and figure mm-hmm. that out again again you know tr- uh, again assuming that some people are going to going to be able to do this online with the book and some people may not be able to but i want to leave uh, the listeners with something that they can implement right away
4: right 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 well so you know i think i think same for for parents be be watching yourself your partner um what are those things that, that, you, that you seem to be able to, that come easily to you, that come naturally to you, that resonate with you? It's not, it's not hard to do them because it's such a part of, um, of who you are. So I think one of the, the things that's really fun about it, too, is that as you start thinking about, you know, so, for example, me, who am I as a mom, who's my, my husband as a dad, there may be some things I want him to be that I can nag him about that just aren't going to happen. Um, but if I can look and see what what is it that he always gravitates toward, um, you know, for for example, um, you know, I'm, I might want my husband to be better at keeping structure for kids for the kids on the weekend, but if he doesn't really seem to stick to a schedule because that's what I do. Um, you know, but but he's the guy who's out there being spontaneous and playing and, and, and wrestling. I think to, to think about, okay, I'm the one that's, that's an arranger. I'm the organizer, so I, I can organize and keep some structure for our family. But his strength seems to, to be in um, responding immediately and, and capturing the fun of rough-and-tumble play. Um, and so... By doing that, you you create a smoother family for your mm-hmm. for your life.
1: I think that raises a really interesting point. It's something I've, <laughs> I've talked about a lot on various various formats in print and in on the air is the concept of equality. That you know, a lot of people think about equality, okay, so that means that you're going to change six diapers and I'm going to change six diapers, or that it, you have to drive the carpool as often as I do. But I think what you're what you're talking about is a great concept of. Figure out what you're good at, and do that. Now, of course, you know it's, you don't want to have somebody who's only good at uh, hanging out and watching TV, and while the other person is is good at managing the household, <laughs> you know, there has to be <laughs> right. some some balance in there, someplace. Right, but right. you know, the the idea that you know, it doesn't matter really what you're doing as long as you're doing it for the good of the family, and mm-hmm. that things should be generally weighted that way.
4: Right, right. Yeah, and I, and I think when you um, you know, can sit down and and talk about those things and say, hey, here's the things that I think I'm good at, the things that I think are important for our family and how I contribute, and and what are yours, and then you can bring those two together. It also, um, you know, opens up the communication and appreciation lines. So to your point, you're right. It doesn't mean that I would love to say, you know what, I'm really not good at. Loading the dishwasher. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're, you know, we're talking about thinking about um, um, what what each can contribute in a in a meaningful way.
1: Okay, now I want to talk about bringing the concept of strengths into the schools. It's yeah. You know, it's easy, and no, I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier, I would imagine, to do this whole thing at home when you're dealing with one family or one mm-hmm. parent and one child but if you're a teacher or you're a school administrator this is is a bit of a time-consuming process sure so how does that uh, how does that play out in in the classroom
4: well you know it's it's, it's harder but in the long run I think it's easy easier um, because regardless teaching is a really time-consuming job. Um, but I think when, you, when, when teachers can, or coaches, um, can, can look at students one by one by one and, and build with each student on who they are, what motivates them, what they can do they've just set up a foundation for moving forward in a much more energetic manner mm-hmm. um, and you know one of the things that 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 we know from some of the work and some of the surveys that we've done um, for example we did a, a Gallup survey of over 600,000 students um, and we found that But the kids who said that their school builds on their strengths and that they have at least one teacher that makes them excited about the future are 30 times more likely to be engaged in school. And when you think about what a difference engagement in school makes, I mean, so that means they're excited about school. They want to learn. They want to be there. Um, That makes a big difference in, um, you know, how we – how, how teachers and, and, others can, can right. work with kids, you know, and, and, and teachers and coaches, they really want to know what motivates kids and what works best for them because it does make their, it makes their jobs easier. It makes it more satisfying, but the bottom line is they, they've got a mission about what they do. And so, um, you know, they, they do want to figure out how to, how to make them, how to help them learn, how to, how to, you know, sugar the water so that they'll They'll yeah. be more engaged um, and so I think one of the things that we can be doing as parents um, we know our, we know our children best we want to get input from others we want to you know hear from teachers because they're seeing me in a different you know setting and they can add a whole other perspective but we can help I think make teachers jobs easier by also um, as objectively as we can sharing our perspective of of our children um, with teachers, so you know to provide them insights into your child's talents because they they might have thirty kids in the classroom, so it's going to take them a long time. We can help speed that up. Um, you know, we we can be positive and supportive of the of the teacher and of our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we get get involved, and um, um, I think when we also help teachers know what they do well.
2: Right. That, right. That's
4: that, good goes too. A, that goes a long way too. Yeah. So it's kind of building that whole strength-based um, atmosphere where where teachers can say, "Oh, this is this this talent of mine really makes a difference to kids. I need to figure out how I can use it more."
1: Could you tell us a little bit about some of the cases that you talk about? Because you give some wonderful case studies or vignettes, anyway, from mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. people's lives, from family lives. Uh, can you take us through one of those? I think they're they're you're, they're so fascinating.
4: Oh sure, and I have lots of favorites, so it's kind of hard when you ask me that one. But um, um, let me tell you about two of them, um, um, especially as we're kind of as we're as we're thinking about yeah, school I think we'll pro- here. probably oh, have time now. for
1: just one. But but
4: oh, just one. Okay, well, well no, then, go ahead. Um, okay, well well let's let's take Steve then, um, who as a as a young boy and as a student, he didn't perform well in school. He was a kind of a kid that was bullied. And if a project didn't interest him, he probably didn't finish it. Um, he did, by the way, he was dyslexic, um, but back in those days, it was undiagnosed. Um, and so Steve's mom, instead of parenting by the, by the deficit model, for example, noticed that he loved photography and making movies. Um, but instead of focusing on the fact that he had struggled with reading and math and all of those kinds of things, she put her time into supporting his strengths. Um, and I don't know how many of you would do this, but I absolutely love this part. So Steve came home to his mom and said, I need a bunch of cans of cherries. And she said, what for? And he said, because I need to um, put them in the cooker and blow them up in the kitchen. And you know what? <laughs> his mom said, okay. And they did it. They exploded them because he had an idea about a, about a video that he wanted to make. Well, his mom knew it was important to him to do what he loved, and that same kid today is Steven Spielberg.
1: Um, I, know, I thought you were going to say Steven Cannell, who was also, I oh, remember, dyslexic and and had uh, similar kinds of things. He was one of the creators of Hill Street Blues and a lot of other oh, great yeah, TV shows. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah.
4: But, but what's interesting to me is, is uh, you can find those stories over and over and over again. Yeah. And, yeah. And whether they're famous people or not, but but that's what comes through. That's you know, as as we're adults, if somebody's supporting um, your passion, somebody supported something that you got really good at, that you got to learn a whole lot about. Um, that's what makes a difference when, when you think about what what you're doing as an adult.
1: Right. Mary Reckmeyer, the author of Strengths Based Parenting Developing Your Children's Innate Talents. And where can people go What website to learn a little bit more about this?
4: Oh, um, uh, they could go to, uh, they can either go to Gallup.com and you'll find it on that site, or you can uh, just go to StrengthsBasedParenting.com.
1: Excellent. Okay, Mary, thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Brought, and it's time for a Parents at Play toy segment. You know, art and childhood just seem to go together, don't they? But who says adults can't roll up their sleeves and get creative? Well, this week we're going to be taking a look at a number of different ways to express your creativity. Some are traditional, and some are not quite so traditional. Let's start off with Star Wars Crayons by Crayola. If you've got any Star Wars fans at home, and I think that's something that may be required by law in 47 states, and you love to make art, which should be required in all 50 states, you're going to love Crayola's new Star Wars limited edition crayons. These 64 color sets come in collectible boxes that feature either Darth Vader or the Stormtroopers. If you're looking for good guys, you're going to have to look into the Star Wars-themed set of mini-coloring pages that comes with six mini-washable markers. Now, these crayons are wrapped in snazzy black-and-white labels, and each box includes a number of new colors. Outer space and deep space are just two of them, and they're also metallic and glitter effects. These things are for all ages. They cost about 8 bucks if your favorite retailer, or you can check them out at shop.crayola.com. Art and school supplies from Ubi. Yubi, which is Y-O-O-B-I, doesn't have as many colors as Crayola, but they're well on their way with a strong product line that includes markers and paints and crayons, brushes, paints, pencils, highlighters, and many other ways to transform every surface in your world into an expression of your creativity. The company also goes well beyond art, though. They produce a lot of office supplies as well, including staplers, tape dispensers, notebooks, rulers, binders, folders, and a ton more. But what's consistent across all of Ubi's products is that they're high quality, vibrant, and stylish. Ubi also gives back. For example, for every product you buy, the company donates a similar one to a classroom in need right here in the United States. Prices vary, and you can check them out at Ubi.com, y-o-o-b-i.com. Socks and a lot more from Pair of Thieves. Now, you could take your art with you everywhere you go with these bright, whimsical cotton blend socks that are eye-catching, comfortable enough to wear to work or the gym, and cool in the hipster sense, but also in the sense that they're breathable and moisture-wicking, which makes your feet literally cooler. A pair of thieves also has dozens of wild designs in a variety of sizes from toddler to dad. Plus, they've got a really cute, adorable dad-kid matching set. Oh, and let's not forget about the style and underwear. That's just as cool in both senses of the word as the socks. They're eight bucks a pair for the kid socks, ten bucks a pair for the dad socks, sixteen a pair for the dad-kid sets, and twenty dollars a pair for the underwear. They're available at Target or at pairofthieves.com. Universal Circus, and that's Universal with S-O-U-L at the end of it. This circus is an absolute joy for a number of reasons. First, the dazzling array of colors make it truly a work of art, which is the theme of this week's segment. Second, the performers elevate the art of circus to new heights. Third, everything takes place in a single ring, and the seats are so close that the audience members feel like they're part of the action. But back to the artists and the performers who hail from all around the world. There were limbo dancers from Trinidad and Tobago, Acrobats and contortionists from Ethiopia Trapeze masters from China Death-defying daredevils from Ecuador And a magic act from the U.S. And a lot more There was also plenty of African-American culture to go around Together, the circus performers kept the audience entertained And on the edge of their seats for the entire two-and-a-half-hour performance The show is for all ages And the tickets range from 18 bucks to 35 bucks. Check their website to see when Universal is coming to your town you can do that at UniversalCircus.com. We'll be back next week with another Parents at Play segment or an Ask Mr. Dad segment. But, you know, you don't have to wait that long because you can visit each of those websites, parentsatplay.com, for reviews and all sorts of descriptions of wonderful toys and games and activities to do with your kids. And Ask Mr. Dad for those Ask Mr. Dad segments. That's AskMrDad.com. And stay with us because there's more positive parenting coming right ahead.
0: More with Mr. Dad, Armin brought after this, from the MrDad.com radio network.
4: Careful at the party, hon. Remember what we talked about? I know, Mom. No alcohol, right? Yeah, I know. Honey, seriously, I know you're in high school now, but you're still too young to drink, and you're still my daughter. I don't want anything happening to you. I know, I know. Really? Drinking is different with kids. You're still growing. You're still developing. It messes with your judgment. I know.
2: Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens.
4: And you could do things that... Honey, trust me, if you drink, you could do things you don't really want to do. That I don't want you to do.
1: Yeah, Mom. I know.
4: Listen, I'm just trying to protect you, all right? If you're a grown woman, it's different, but you're not.
1: I know, okay? I know.
2: Start talking before they start drinking and keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
0: Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com Radio Network.
1: Hey there, welcome to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com, and want to thank you for staying with us. Nearly 35% of everyday Americans suffer from metabolic syndrome. That's a condition that makes their bodies store the food they eat as fat rather than burn it for energy. Yet, surprisingly, most people have never heard of the condition and have accepted the blame for their inability to lose weight. A recent study from the Weitzman Institute of Science grabbed headlines a while ago internationally when it concluded, among a lot of other things, that health professionals are far too eager to blame people for their inability to lose weight and have more likely than not, they've been giving people the wrong advice. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with an expert on metabolic syndrome, and he's come to the conclusion that metabolic syndrome is actually the hidden driver of America's body weight epidemic. We're going to be asking and answering a very important question. Why do certain foods help the body lose weight while others cause the body to store fat? And we're going to talk about whether the habits you've developed over a lifetime may be actually causing your body to store fat rather than burn it. You know, so much of what we've been taught over the years about fitness and weight loss is patently false. For example, that you have to eliminate all fat from your diet or that you should load up on carbs before a workout. These practices may actually be sabotaging your success. In this part of today's show, we're going to be exposing the myths that have prevented you and your family from achieving your weight and fitness goals, and we're going to revolutionize the way you think about your body, your health, and your outlook on life. It all starts when positive parenting continues right after this. <sighs> Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Mike Berland, who is the author of Become a Fat-Burning Machine, the 12-Week Diet, Lose the Belly, End Sugar Cravings, and Gain Energy. Mike, thanks for joining us.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: You know, we don't do a lot on, on weight loss here, but because of the, you know, what I'm just really tired of the phrase, but the epidemic of obesity and, and that kind of thing, uh, it's something that we really do need to talk about as a as a parenting issue, not only as some, you know, a way to set example for your kids and to change your own life, but also to help them to make sure that they manage whatever issues are going on with food with them. And you focus on something called metabolic syndrome. Why don't you talk about what that is?
5: Yeah, well, you know, first of all, um, one of the reasons I wrote the book was to deal with, with parenting issues and the way that we educate our children on on nutrition, on what are good foods. And, you know, as as you look into the book, my childhood was actually a big part of it. Um, The lessons that I learned from um, my mother and the lessons that I wish she would have uh, taught me. Metabolic syndrome is is a phenomenon where um, our body simply cannot use the food uh, that we eat for energy and stores it as fat. And you can you can you can understand when you have uh, metabolic syndrome because it means you're insulin resistant so instead of using the um the food uh, to sort of just help you get through the day and give you the energy, your body just starts to store it around this, around your middle and I would have had metabolic syndrome for my whole life and one out of three Americans have it, and it's typically you can see it with uh, elevated glucose. Uh, levels. I mean, your blood sugar is too high. Right. Uh, you can see it with higher cholesterol levels, and you can. And um, what's fascinating is it, it's a precursor to type two diabetes, and um, the so many of our uh, of our kids uh, actually have it early in life.
1: Right. I was just going to ask about that because it's you talk about it as if it's a separate thing from diabetes. Is it?
5: It, it, it's, a, it's a precursor uh, to diabetes, and um, what, what's really happened in this um, society that we live in where there's so much uh, sugar and there's so much carbohydrates in everything that we eat, um, our, uh, our body just cannot, um, cannot use it. And it, uh, typically, uh, metabolic syndrome leads right into diabetes, and you, um, it's actually the most curable at a young age, eating, getting our kids to eat um, a low-carb diet, uh, high-protein, uh, leafy vegetables, good fats can actually set them on for a lifetime of, of weight management. Versus the opposite of what we're seeing, which is our kids are getting heavier. I, I was a heavy kid, by the way. I was, um, I was probably, um, I was probably. 30 to 40 pounds, to the point that um, if you look in, the, in in my book, my parents actually locked with chains the uh, the cabinets in the kitchen to stopped me from
1: eating. My, <laughs> my shouldn't, mother was horrified shouldn't ask about when that. I
5: put that in the book, but I said, Mom, you did it. And she said, look, it's the best me what to do at the time.
1: Yeah. So where do these ideas come from? I mean, I'm sure people ask you this all the time, but where do, has this ep- this episode this epidemic of obesity come from? Why are kids eating so much? Because it's not just the fat and the sodas. It's got to be no. more than that. I mean, there's there's something else going on. It's quantity as well as crap.
5: Well, let's let, let's. The book is called Fat Burning Machine for a reason because there are, there are foods that are designed to store fat, and there are foods that are designed uh, to burn. Fat. So there's, there's, and and so that's the most basic lesson. So know what are fat burning foods and know what are fat storing foods. And if you look at the, um, if you look at our diet, we tend to eat more uh, fat storing foods. And so fat storing foods are the carbohydrates, you know, the pastas, um, uh, the breads, uh, the sugars, and those are and our bodies actually um, store those as fat versus the fat burning food, which are the proteins, you know, the, the chicken and the fish um, and the vegetables. And so what I, the premise of the book is that you've got to turn your fat burning machine on and there literally is a switch in your body that puts you into fat burning mode. And that's what I wanted because I'm not a doctor or a trainer um, or a nutritionist. I'm, I, I do research and analytics. Uh, um, And so I took the same principles that I use in my day life, and I talked to doctors, nutritionists, and trainers, and each of them gave me a piece of the puzzle. The doctor told me about metabolic syndrome, where your body is designed to store fat rather than burn fat. The nutritionist told me about the foods that I was going to eat, but it wasn't until I got to the trainer, who is my co-author, Gail Bernhardt, where she taught me about exercise and how to do um, miracle intervals which would actually put my um, body into fat-burning mode. And I combined those three elements right. and got to the fat-burning machine.
1: All right. So as coming into this with the perspective of a regular guy, basically, yeah. is what you're saying. Total regular <clears throat> guy. Right. So you're, you're a regular guy, and I am you know, consider myself to be a regular guy also. When I hear things like miracle or fat burning machine or that sort of stuff, my initial reaction is, "Oh boy, they're trying to sell me something," or "This is just another fad." So how did did you have that reaction? And if you did, how did you get past it?
5: Well, I mean, first of all, i I went into it having tried every diet because I was gaining one to two pounds every year. Like I wasn't. So in my twenties, you gained one to two pounds. I was ten pounds overweight. When I got to my 30s, all of a sudden I was 20, 30 pounds overweight. But but when I got to my 40s and I reached 50 pounds overweight, I was like, that's enough. And my doctor wanted to put me on meds. And so I was like, I am 42 years old. I am too young to go on cholesterol medicine. And, And so it sort of put me down this path to take those research and analytics skills and to find the solution. So I wasn't looking to write a book. I didn't invent any of this stuff. But I pulled all the information together. Like a good researcher, I took the information from the doctor, the nutritionist, and the trainer, and I put it together. And I wanted people to understand the concept. And being the good marketing guy I am, I understood that um, we all aspire to be fat-burning machines because the opposite of a fat-burning machine is a fat-storing machine. And nobody (laughs) nobody wants to be a fat-storing machine. And I wanted to explain to people... It's not that complicated. It's, you don't need to go on to these gimmicky diets, um, paleo, day-off diet, wheat belly diet. Those are the fats. This is really just the information to get your body into fat-burning mode by understanding which are fat-burning foods and which are fat-storing foods. The miracle intervals, I had no idea were coming, and that came from Gail Bernhardt, who became my co-author, who said, look, athletes know that um, in order to train your body you've got to do interval training and she said athletes know to do accelerations of whether you're walking jogging or running, do 30 seconds a little bit faster and then do 3 minutes of recovery and what people do um, when they go to the gym is they exercise so hard that they don't actually burn fat um, they actually burn their glycogen and then they just have to replace it and she said people lose the weight in the rest periods, not in the accelerations. And so when I had that last bit of information and it all clicked, I'm like, I'm gonna write a book and I'm gonna share this with people so they don't have to spend these ridiculous amounts of money going on fad diets. If you wanna become a fat burning machine, eat fat burning foods, do miracle intervals, Mm -hmm. uh, 30 minutes uh, uh, a day, three days a week, and the weight will just come off like it did for me. And that's where the book came from.
1: And this is something that you think you can get your family on board with as well, that it's not going to be so insanely complicated or restrictive or critical uh, that that kids are going to actually be cooperative.
5: No, I did. it's so funny because um, the first person um, I actually tested this on was my mother, who who is older, but, you know, um, she had gained weight. And, and I really thought she'd given up, and um, her mother had just passed away, and I could tell she was a little down, and I said, Mom, I want to make you beautiful again. And I know that being losing weight is really important to you and I, and I sent her a chapter of my book, and she called me, and she was so upset with me. And I said, What's wrong, Mom? She says, Well, how could you only send me one chapter? because the rest. <laughs> and, and she went on. But then I did the same thing with my daughter, my teenage daughter, uh, who had gained a few extra pounds. And there's nothing restrictive about this diet because it's not gimmicky. It's, it's just common sense. It's, um, you know, we don't eat a bowl of pasta as our regular meal. We try to balance it out with, uh, with some vegetables and some, and, and some proteins because it's, it's a way of life. And um, in the book, you'll see that I talk about palate training, which is absolutely important when you're raising children, is to get them to enjoy the taste of vegetables, yeah. of proteins, and not just addicted to sugar.
1: All right, Mark, we're going to get to that in just a second. Talking with Mike Berland, who is the co-author with Gail Bernhardt of Become a Fat-Burning Machine, the 12-Week Diet, Lose the Belly, and Sugar Cravings Gain Energy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about palate training and a lot more. I'm Armin Brandt, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Mike Berland, who's the co-author of Become a Fat-Burning Machine, the 12-Week Diet. So you were just talking about palate training, which sounds like you'd be lifting up things with a forklift, but uh, not talking about that kind of palate, I guess.
5: Yeah, it's really... um, palate training was a wonderful um, concept I learned from Dr. Laura Leskowitz, who um, was actually the doctor who diagnosed me with metabolic syndrome. And she said, you know, Mike, one of the problems with raising our children today is that we're not teaching them to really enjoy the taste of vegetables and healthier foods. That we're teaching them to be, um, to t- we're teaching their palate to be too sensitive to sugars and, their, and the carbohydrates. And if you, from a young age, if you introduce um, a wide variety of Of of, of different foods to your children, they'll actually get the same sort of reaction from broccoli as they do uh, Dunkin' Donuts. It's scientifically a fact. Um, And you just have to have the right association. And so palate training um, is such an important part. And I realized that my wife had done that to our children and I didn't even know. Um, Marcella, my wife, is from Argentina. And so Uh, until the kids were uh, five, until they went to school, she was making them um, pureed vegetables um, at home. She never had baby food. She was always making them sort of Argentine food, and and they absolutely loved it. And then they went to school, and they gave them a sandwich, and my kids didn't know how to eat it. They took the piece of bread off. They they went to the meat. They'd never seen a sandwich before, and it was just proof that... um, From a young age, you can teach children how to uh, uh, appreciate and to find great satisfaction with the types of foods that will keep them uh, uh, as healthy as possible.
1: Wow. That's a pretty impressive thing. It
5: was funny, though. The school was not happy that the kids didn't know how to eat a sandwich. They wondered what kind of house they'd been brought up in, but it was (laughs) a wonderful example.
1: All right. So tell us a little bit more about the, the miracle Intervals because I'm I'm intrigued by that. I do a lot of of interval training myself, a lot of uh, kind of intense, crazy workouts, I guess. And some of it is based on uh, this Tabata, which I'm sure you know about. Which is, depending on how how you want to look at it, it's like 20 seconds on and 10 seconds off, and you do that for four minutes, and then you take a little bit more of a break. Or sometimes it's 45 seconds on and 15 seconds off. But it, you know, it, but it's a repetitive thing. You were talking about doing something pretty hard for a little bit and then taking three minutes off. How does that right. work?
5: Well, I mean, I think I mean you're so right. First of all, Americans um, have a lot of misconceptions about exercise, actually work themselves into a sweat storm, and don't exercise efficiently as they should. What we're talking about with miracle intervals, if you want to elevate your heart rate um, for, for 30 seconds at a time, and it doesn't matter if you're walking, jogging, or running, just elevate it. And then you have to let your heart rate drop. And um, and depending on how long it takes your heart rate to drop, obviously the more fit you are, you know your heart rate drops faster. Um, But we say exercise for uh, for 30 seconds hard and take a three-minute recovery and then go back and do the acceleration for 30 seconds again. If you do six to seven of those, which takes, you know, um, after a 10-minute warm-up takes about 20 minutes, so 30 minutes total, um, that's the maximum uh, exercise that you need to do to get your cells to open up to be able to process the food that you're eating. It will reduce your insulin resistance and make your body more adapted to using the energy you have stored rather than having to replenish it. And it's it, 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 this is just new science that's coming into mainstream, but athletes have known it for years.
1: All right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the foods uh, the fat-burning foods and the fat-storing foods. I want to get back to that because you mentioned it a little bit about uh, carbs storing stuff up and sugar storing stuff up. Those yeah. are storage foods. So what are our burning foods?
5: Uh, burning foods are typically uh, proteins. Like, uh, uh, my favorite one is obviously chicken breast. Uh, um, I, I, I eat quite a bit, but I also eat um, uh, quite a bit of fish. I eat uh, uh, shrimp. I like um, vegetables. Vegetables particularly leafy vegetables, and um, good fats. Like this idea that you should have a low-fat diet is, is, again, another one of those uh, myths. So uh, uh, butter, for instance, or mayonnaise, you know, don't eat a stick of butter, but those are also fat-burning um, uh, foods. And the idea is that you want to get – you want to use the um, – eat the food that your body can burn rather than store.
1: Right and so here's the the tricky part. <clears throat> your kids grew up, and they, they didn't know how to eat a sandwich, which I guess yeah. is a is a good thing. but you know how do you manage to get kids to pay attention to this sort of stuff when they're not at home? I mean, I could see having certain kinds of foods at home or, or enforcing certain types of exercise routines uh, you know when you're with your kids. but how do you get them to want to make it a part of their life
5: what I have found in my own Experience and look, Mike. I've I have a, a, a son who doesn't have to worry about these issues at all, and I have a daughter who struggles with it. And it's for, for, um, for Isabella, who's my daughter, it's really been about education. And 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 say, Isabella, when you eat an egg white omelet for breakfast with a little bit of cheese and vegetables and a, and a piece of whole wheat toast, you're going to get started on a really great day and you're not going to be hungry all day, and and you're going to feel healthier. You're going to have more energy. You're going to be more alert. When you start your day with a bagel with cream cheese, you're going to spike your insulin, and you're going to have highs and lows, and you're going to have real challenges eating. And uh, I know that it's very hard, but you have to just um, educate children that the food that you eat has a consequence in your day. And as the kids are younger... Uh, and you have a little bit more control over what they eat, you can you can serve it to them. And when they get older and they can make more choices for themselves, you have to educate uh, them. But children, as, as we all know, are pretty flexible and adaptable, and um, it's really working with them um, and, and, and demonstrating through example uh, the types of foods. Um, the worst thing that can happen, I don't know if you did this as a kid, um, I was always late for school and I would skip breakfast and that's the worst thing that you can do because you're actually creating a, a situation for the rest of the day where you're going to start to have sugar cravings, you are gonna have un, un, uneven energy levels. We want to teach our children to eat five or six times a day, to eat snacks. We just don't want them to eat, uh, you know, M&M's and, uh, and, 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 and Slurpee's.
1: Well, you know, there's also this thing about water, which I've become a big a big proponent of drinking a lot of water. I had some kidney issue, and that's what the doctors were advising. And I, I realized that I would go, before I started doing this, I would go, like, the entire day without drinking anything. And a, a number of nutritionists and, and medical people have, have said, look, part of the reason why people start stuffing their faces is because they're thirsty, and they confuse right. the feeling, and so if you if you drink a lot of water during the day, you probably will reduce the amount of cravings and food that you're going to consume.
5: That's exactly. You know that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if you know the other people also confuse uh, sex and um, and sleepiness. All of those four things can get confused, and you could be tired and you think you're hungry, you know, and and you and, and you could be thirsty. Uh, and you think you're sleepy, you're you're exactly right. You've gotta um, be a little bit more proactive in understanding what is the, um, what are you feeling and what's the best way to satisfy it.
1: All right, Mike, we only have just about a minute left, but so sum this up for us. if you're you're a parent, you've got you're perhaps struggling with your own weight, you've got a kid who seems to be struggling. Uh, what do you do? What's your first step?
5: Uh, first of all, keep it the first step is to keep it really simple. And if you only take away one thing from our discussion, there are foods that are designed to, that are fat burning and there are foods that are fat storing and try to it, stick on the fat burning ones. If you do that, you'll flip the switch and your body will start to work more efficiently and you'll be able to manage your your weight. And what that will ultimately do is give you control of your weight. And that's all we can do for our children is to help them control their weight so that they can live a healthy uh, life becoming a fat burning machine is a way to just think about um and, and, and keep that idea don't get lost uh, in the gimmicks and then the, the last thing to remember is having uh, some regular exercise is absolutely critical but we don't need to work ourselves into a sweat storm we don't have to overdo it 30 minutes three times a week doing uh, intervals which are really quite simple is enough to allow you to have that control.
1: Mike Berland, co-author with Gail Bernhardt of Become a Fat-Burning Machine, the 12-Week Diet. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you.
5: Thank you very much.